question that God is not good, that no one is good, that everything is bad. Uh, but we're able to come and re- be reminded of the goodness of God. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that Pastor and Lisa are on vacation uh, this week, last week, this week. They'll be gone next week. And uh, I say this because those of you that were here last week, you know what you're getting. So it's on you, right? <laughs> you come by accident, you don't know, you come back, that's your fault. So I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate you being here this morning. And uh, we're going to have a good time together, I trust. Take your Bibles, if you have them this morning, and turn again to the same passage we started with last week, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we'll look at just a couple of verses again. Matthew chapter 28, I'll begin reading in verse number 18 as we start this morning. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, and uh, at the risk of sounding Uh, repetitive. Again, we talked about this last week, but this is very, very important as we come into the message this morning, as we understand the the context of the series that we're in. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He had spent uh, a period of time with these folks, not just the 12, but certainly the inner circle and many others that followed Jesus. He had taught and he had demonstrated what it is to be a Christian to them. They had uh, witnessed his crucifixion. They had left in desperation, hopelessness, They then saw the resurrected Christ, they're now with him, and Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. When the Bible says that he spake unto them, these are those that he is speaking to. What did he say? He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Man, we could spend a long time there this morning. All power, all power is given unto me in both heaven and earth. So they must have been waiting. What comes next? All power has been given unto Jesus. He says simply, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Verse 19, Jesus said, Go ye therefore. Last week we began a short series of messages uh, entitled simply Offensive Faith. Offensive Faith. I believe that many Christians who would hold to a faith that is in Christ, having a relationship with God, many Christians who believe the truth and hold the truth live in a defensive posture with their faith. We look at the world around us, and we'll talk more about this as we go on today, but we look at a confusing, sometimes overwhelming world, and we conclude that it's easier to just hang on to what we have and hope that we don't lose anything than it is to take our faith out into the world and go on the offense with it. I don't know what the disciples were thinking as Jesus was speaking to them, but he wanted to make it very clear to them that the one thing he wanted them to do was to go, was to take their faith on the offense. We talked about what that is last week. This morning, we'd like to go to the next part because I believe this is very important. It's one thing to decide to go on the offense with your faith. It's another thing entirely to understand what that means, to understand what the objective of that offensive faith really is. And that's what we're going to look at for a few moments this morning. Let's pray together and we'll begin. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be in this place We thank you that on a weekly basis we can come here and hear from your word. We can sing uh, songs of praise to you. We can reflect on just how good you are. I pray, God, that you'd minister to us this morning. As I've been praying already this morning, I pray again now, God, that we would hear from you. The folks in this room don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And Father, I I know because I live in this world as well that often we come into a, a, a place like this and a moment like this carrying burdens Uh, uncertain of exactly what we should do. 
struggling perhaps in relationships, struggling uh, to raise our kids in, a, in an uncertain world, struggling to have that offensive faith out in the workplace. We want to do right. We want to pursue you. But God, it's often so confusing and overwhelming. We don't know exactly what that looks like. I pray that today you'd minister to us, that you'd speak to us, and that you would show us exactly what you would have for us to see. Thank you again for the opportunity to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was born in the year 1976. <laughs> for those of you that aren't good at math, that means I'm really young. Uh, I haven't been around nearly as long as some of you, <clears throat> longer than others. Some important things happened in 1976. In 1976, Jimmy Carter was elected president. Apple computers began. It's pretty significant. The first Rocky movie came out. Bruce Jenner won the decathlon. These things all happened in 1976. This is an important year. But there's nothing like looking back to when you were born to gain perspective on life. I am sometimes confused when I look back to the things that happened the year I was born. Apple computers have now taken over the world, taken over the world. There have been so many Rocky sequels that now Apollo Creed's son is fighting the Russians. <laughs> Bruce Jenner was recently named Woman of the Year. Things are confusing. Can I get a witness? <laughs> we look back and think, how in the world did we get here? For those of you that have a little more life than I do behind me, you probably live in a constant state of confusion, I would imagine. Things are confusing. They're overwhelming. We could look at some other things that happened in 1976, though, and these are important things. Newsweek, having looked at the landscape of the country at that time, saw the rise in independent churches. Newsweek, in 1976, declared that year the year of the evangelical. Isn't that interesting? Jimmy Carter, I mentioned, was elected president in 1976, and, and like him or not, he was the first president in U.S. history to declare that he was a born-again Christian while running for office. That's the climate in 1976. In that year, 70% of Americans claimed church membership somewhere. Not claimed to be a Christian or claimed to believe in God, but claimed to be a part of a church somewhere. These things all happened in 1976. It wouldn't be too long after that, just a couple of years, that in this climate, in this environment, Jerry Falwell would establish uh, what was called at the time the moral majority. We fast forward to today, and we understand that church membership today, less than 50%. The percentage of Americans claiming no religion at all is statistically exactly the same as those claiming to be evangelicals. In fact, we could look at our world and we understand that the category of none is the fastest growing religious affiliation in America. How things have changed in a relatively short period of time. We consider cultural changes and we consider even changes in the religious landscape. And if you're like me, you can look at these things and understand as well that belief and acceptance have changed in our world. What was once accepted, what, what was once uh, in, in uh, pursued in our life and in our culture and our country are now things that many people will stay away from. I, I certainly don't look at the world with rose-colored glasses. I understand that uh, we have always had our problems, but I think any objective person would have to look at the world over the last 20 or 30 or 50 years and conclude that things have changed and not necessarily for the better. When I look at these things, I, I consider uh, the changes and what is tolerated and what is not, how the laws have changed and how uh, acceptance have changed and all these things that we could talk about. Uh, there is some confusion that comes into my heart, but there's also uh, a bit of a fear, if I'm to be quite honest with you. 
I look at the world that my kids are growing up in now, and I understand that soon they'll be adults. And I wonder what kind of world they are going to inherit. I look at the, the world beyond them and think about the world that their kids will live in and their kids will live in. And it can be scary. I talk about offensive faith, taking our faith out, going on the offense with our faith, following those who have gone before us and doing exactly what God wants us to do now and leaving a trail for those who are coming up behind us. But again, if I'm honest, considering how quickly things are changing, I'm not exactly sure how to do that. I don't know if you're anything like me, but if you are, you've had some of these same thoughts. We can't change what's happening in culture, even those of you that are hanging on to your VHS collections, because someday they're going to be worth something. <laughs> they weren't worth anything when you bought them, but that's another story. We can't change that, but we look at our faith life and we think, man, it must be uh, so hard to go forward and there's so much persecution and so much rejection and, and so much pushback. It's easier just to hang on to what I have. I think in a lot of ways we come to that conclusion because we have not taken the time to actually ask the question. When we talk about offensive faith, when we talk about taking our faith forward and, and leaving something behind for others, what exactly are we talking about? What is the objective? I believe, and I have this up for you so you can read it yourself, that the reason Christianity and the Christian life have become so confusing is because we have never really understood the target. If offensive faith will be effective faith, we must have a clear, unchanging objective. I believe you're here this morning because at least in part, you want to live the life of faith. You want faith to have an impact on you, and you want to have an impact on others. That's what you desire. But again, it can become so overwhelming when we look at our world that we don't know how to do that. The great thing about living the Christian life, the way that Christ intended for us to live the Christian life, is that there is a goal, and the goal doesn't change. That culture, and law, and politics, and opinion, and present, uh, persecution, or the lack of persecution, these things may come and go, but the goal of offensive faith, carrying your faith forward, is a goal that was given by Jesus to his disciples. It's the same goal for you and me today, it will be the same goal for our children and for their children and for every generation of people until Jesus returns. You know what removes the anxiety and the fear from my life when I look at our world? It's settling on the fact that an unchanging God has given us an unchanging objective. That if we focus on the objective given to us by God, the rest of it, the noise, the clutter, the fear, the anxiety, it falls away and loses its control in my life. I'm going to talk about this for a few minutes today. And again, my heart is that this will be a help to you. I want to talk about the objective of offensive faith. What is the goal? What is the objective? We see, first of all, that it begins with truth. It begins with truth. Go back to our verse, if you would, please. Verse 19. Go ye therefore... Here's what Jesus said. He said, go. Here's what, you, here's, here's what I want you to do. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them what? To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get involved in politics so you can change the cultural landscape. I want you to stand on the street corner and scream at everybody that comes by and tell them how wrong they are. I want you to cause a ruckus. I want you to cause some confusion. I want you to go out and, and aggressively pursue people. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to go into the world everywhere and tell people about me. I want you to go everywhere and proclaim the truth. This, and we'll get, I have an outline. <laughs> I really do have an outline. Um, here's a problem. When you come to a message like this one, you should not watch the news all week. It's going to knock you off track. I believe that many Christians are so involved in what's happening around them that they're screaming about the wrong things and that they're upset about the wrong things. And we want so badly to be a part of something. We want so badly to go on the offense that, that we'll get involved in things that are simply pulling us off track. Now, please understand, I believe that Christians should be politically informed. I believe uh, we need to take advantage of the rights that we've been given. I believe that many of the problems we have in our country are because Christians have put themselves on the sidelines. I believe all of that, but I also believe that what we need is not more politics, and what we need is not more screaming about this issue and that issue and this person and that person. What we need is more truth. And yet we live in a world where truth has become relative. The truth is based on how I feel or what's happening at this moment or what has changed in culture. It's become relative and therefore truth changes. And because it changes, it's unknowable. You ever had, tried to have a, a logical discussion with someone and they push back and go, well, you can't know that. <laughs> like talking to a two-year-old. You can't know that. Truth is unknowable. That's your definition of truth. That's what you believe truth is, but no one can actually know truth. And yet we ask the question, well, then what is truth? John 17 and verse 17, we're told to sanctify them through thy truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. Colossians 1 and verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Let me tell you something today, and I know you know this, but I want to remind you, if nothing else, that the word of God is truth. That the word of God is not relative, it does not change because it was delivered to us by a God who's not relative and does not change. The truth is what God told the disciples to go out and proclaim. Jesus said, go into all of the world and proclaim the gospel. And that is the truth that needs to be delivered. You know the problems that we deal with in our country and the problems that we deal with in our world and the cultural shift and everything that's happening, the things we get upset about and often rightfully so. They're not a problem of politics and they're not a problem of opinion. They're a problem of truth. Please understand the gospel truth. When we go on the offense, what is it that we're supposed to take forward? What is the objective? The objective is truth. Here's the gospel message. The gospel message is this, that God does not care who you are, where you came from, what color you are, 
whether you have been born or you're yet waiting to be born, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We look at these things we call cultural or political issues, and what we understand is that they are a lack of understanding of the truth, that God loves everyone. He doesn't care where you came from. He cares that you're human and that you have an eternal soul, and that it will spend somewhere, or it will spend eternity somewhere. That's truth. (laughs) Whenever pastor uh, leaves, he, he always gives me one instruction every time. <laughs> the one instruction is, preach an encouraging message. <laughs> Sometimes I get encouraging and like confused. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, for me, there is no more encouraging message than this. That God loves me. That God has a plan for my life. That there is hope in a hopeless world. That as dark and difficult as things often seem, God has a plan. And what I understand as a Christian is that I don't need to do this or that or chase this thing or that thing or spend my life so anxious and upset about what's changing in the world. I don't need to worry about the world that my kids will inherit or that their kids will inherit. I simply need to do my job of communicating the truth. As a parent, this has brought me more comfort than anything I can express to you. I read books (laughs) and I talk to people and I worry about my kids just like you do. You know what I've been called to do as a parent? Teach my kids the truth. You know what I've been called to do as a husband? Communicate truth. You know what I've been called to do in the workplace? To communicate truth. There is truth. And yet people say truth isn't important. So many have decided that they just don't care about truth or that they will create their own truth. Jesus believed so strongly in truth that as his disciples were mourning the fact that Jesus told them he would ascend into heaven, I picture Jesus raising his hand and saying, look guys, here's the thing. It's good that I go away. And the reason it's good that I go away is because when I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. John chapter 16 and verse 13 says this, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Truth is so important to Jesus that he sent the Holy Spirit of God to guide us into truth. We need truth. We need a standard, something to point to, something that doesn't change, otherwise we'll be tossed to and fro, as the Bible says, with every wind of doctrine. There are those who will say, well, I'll create my own truth. I will simply follow my heart. I've done a lot of counseling. The one thing I will never say is just follow your heart. Parents, please listen to me. I realize we all want what is best for our kids, but don't ever tell your kids to simply follow their heart. I believe that God has equipped us all differently. He's gifted us all differently. He's placed a different call on each one of our lives. I believe that. We're not all the same. God has placed within us desires, and and he'll lead us to a place where we can fulfill those desires. God is not trying to frustrate us. Uh, I understand all of that. But the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and that it is desperately wicked. And when we say, well, I'll create my own truth, I'll simply follow my heart, what, what we're actually saying is, I understand truth, the objective truth of the Word of God, but I feel 
Therefore, I will respond to how I feel and not what is true. We need truth because our emotions and our heart will deceive us. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. You see, real truth remains the same regardless of changes in the world. Matthew 24 and verse 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I don't need to worry about the future if I'm hanging on to the truth because the truth will not change. 1 Peter 1 and verse 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Truth. But I'll say this with truth. There is truth. And we need truth. But truth should always be motivated by love. And this is where I believe a lot of Christians mess it up. We hold truth, and then we hold truth, <laughs> and then we use truth like a club. Well, I have truth, and so I'm going to hit you with the truth. Or I believe what is true, therefore I have an advantage over you. This is where a lot of us miss it. This is where offensive faith becomes offensive faith. You see, love is a decision to do what is best for the object of our love. Love is the decision to do what is best for the object of our love. Love is not emotional. Like can be emotional. Lust can certainly be emotional. Love is not emotional. Love is a decision we make to do what is best for the recipient of our love. And truth is intended to be for good, not dominance. 1 John 3 and verse 18, my little children, let us, love in let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Ephesians 4, 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. John 14, 15, if you love me, what did Jesus say? Keep my commandments, do what I said. Because it is love that should motivate the truth. I'll pause here briefly. If offensive faith is taking the gospel forward, that life-changing, eternity-altering, hope-giving message of Jesus forward, but it, it's undergirded with love, then maybe we need to develop a relationship with someone to let them know we actually care about them before we pick up <laughs> the truth and start beating them with it. Maybe it is with a broken heart that we seek out those who so desperately need to know that God loves them because they feel as though no one else in their life loves them. People who are struggling, people who are broken, people who have been through uh, traumas that you and I could not even understand. Perhaps we need to lovingly, because we care about them, seek them out and sit with them and cry with them and hold them so that we have an opportunity to share the truth truth is that because of our own sin, we've been isolated from God, but that God loves us so much. He did what only he could do to restore that relationship. What a truth, a truth that should be motivated by love. We see the second part of this this morning, that truth 
should lead to change. Truth leads to change. Again, we go to our passage. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to teach. I want you to make to become disciples. I want you to tell people about me and explain how much God loves them. Even though they are in their sin, they can have a relationship restored because of what I did on the cross. I want you to tell them that, and then I want you to teach them how they can go out and do what I've commanded to be done. This is an interesting aspect of truth to me, and I think this is where many people stop, even Christian people. We would say that truth isn't relative. We believe that there is an absolute standard of truth given to us in the Bible, and yet we balk or push back at the idea that truth will bring about change. And yet an intersection with truth will always lead to change. You've not seriously dealt with the truth if there has not been a change in your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What a truth. And by the way, this isn't about some arbitrary standard that some have today and change later. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a soul-level change. Passing from death to life because of the truth. Ephesians 4, 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not, uh, walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Truth will always bring about change. Again, I look at our world and I have to ask myself the question, what is the answer? What will change the world? What will change the world is truth because truth brings about change. Brings about a change of life. Who we are, we're not the same. When a person puts their faith in Christ, entering into a relationship with God, they're not the same. Time and time and time and time and time again, thousands of times in the work that uh, I'm a part of. I've seen men and women come to a place of brokenness and hopelessness, understanding that God loves them and has a plan for their life, accepting the free gift of salvation offered by Jesus Christ, and a change immediately takes place. A change of heart, a change of perspective, a change certainly of hope. Change will happen. You're not the same person anymore. There will be a change of focus. What we care about and what is important will change. There'll be a change of behavior or action. Truth leads to change. I wonder in your own life, has there been a change since your encounter with the truth? Uh, I would say this, if you are a believer, there is a goal. And the goal is communicating the truth in such a way that a change will be made. A soul level change. A change brought on by the truth will then lead the type of heritage that we all hope to leave behind. We lead to heritage. Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. 
The idea of heritage or legacy is leaving something behind of eternal value. This is what I spend my life worrying about. <laughs> and you should too. You want to worry about something? Let me tell you what to worry about. Worry about your legacy. Not in a superficial, silly way. But I believe it's healthy to ask the question regularly, what is it of importance that I'm leaving behind? What am I leaving behind that will actually matter? What am I leaving behind that will actually impact a generation of people coming behind me? What, what am I leaving behind that matters? This idea of legacy is a big idea, and the question of how to leave the right kind of legacy is something we talk about often, but I'll tell you this. Leaving the right legacy or heritage does not have to be complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. It is the fruit of going on the offense. It is the fruit of declaring the truth motivated by love. A man or woman who has given their life to communicating the truth is someone that will leave an important heritage behind. Guys, this brings me comfort. Because I wake up in the middle of the night scared to death about the decisions my kids are going to have to make someday. I get involved in conversations that I just have to turn around and walk away from. Not because I don't want to fight. <laughs> because it makes me so sad. There's anxiety in my life often because I look around and go, what can be done? And what can be done is communicating the truth. The man who left an incredible heritage behind was the Apostle Paul. How did he do it? You know this verse, Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. Paul has just been told if he continues doing what he's been doing, he's going to die. Here's what he said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, doesn't matter. So that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received with the Lord Jesus. To do what? To testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said the only thing that matters is communicating the truth. That's it. There is an objective. In order for offensive faith to be effective faith, however, we must have a clear, unchanging objective. It's amazing how often history illustrates life truths for us. 1944, the Battle of Normandy, the invasion of Normandy took place and, and uh, the Allies were finally gaining ground and things were changing in Europe. Uh, there was a plan put in motion, it was called Operation Cobra. It was the, the plan to finally break the back of the Axis powers in Europe and to regain control of France and, and uh, ultimately to win the war. It, it was a bombardment plan. 5,000 Allied bombers would go in and do what they needed to do again to get control. Because of poor visibility and bad weather, the <coughs> operation kept being pushed off. But eventually, July 25th, 1944, 5,000 Allied bombers took, the, took to the air and started to hit strategic targets. <laughs> it, it was an unbelievably successful operation, except for one part. On, Janu or on uh, July 25th, the 8th Air Force, 1,800 bombers, went up into the air and started to engage the wrong targets. Again, visibility was bad, uh, the targets were unclear, and so they began to engage Allied targets. 111 Allied soldiers were killed. 
490 others injured. The highest ranking uh, soldier of the war in Europe, Lieutenant General Wesley McNair, was killed that day as well by accident. Visibility was bad. They couldn't see the targets, so they started to engage what they thought were the targets, and they were wrong. Those weren't the targets, but they engaged anyhow. If only they had known exactly what their objective was, that part of the story wouldn't have been written. I don't know how many folks in warfare have been killed on accident, but it's many. I don't know how many Christians throughout history have lived their lives trying to hit a target they couldn't see and missing. Saying, I want to go on the offense. I want to carry my faith forward. I want to be used by God. But they don't know what the objective is. They can't see it. It's not clear. And so they either hit the wrong targets or they just give up entirely and hang on to what they have and hope it doesn't get any worse. We must have the right target. Otherwise, we will always live in a state of overwhelm and frustration because the world around us is changing faster than we can possibly adjust.